This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's, it's, it's time to talk that talk. And we talk it like no one else. This is the stinking truth. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome to the Stick Truth Podcast. Uh, yours truly here in uh, New York City. I'm a city guy. And uh, my partner out there in uh, Denver, Colorado, Mike Evans. Mike, how are you, buddy? I am good. How is the uh, the big city? You having it, fun? Oh, yeah. I'm having a great time. Like, So I jumped on a plane um, Sunday morning. And I flew. First off, I got to just side note. By the way, please subscribe. Do all those things that you do here because we would appreciate that. But I'm in the airport early, like I always am. And um, I ran to the bookstore, and I grabbed <laughs> the new Jack Reacher novel. Right? I've seen a lot of hoopla about it on, te- on television. I think, it's a, I think it's a prime show or whatever. And so uh, I read the, the one that's out right now, you know, New York Times bestseller. And uh, I didn't read the whole thing yet. But uh, I hunkered down on a flight for three hours and just read. And... I'm telling you, you know I'm a, uh, you know I'm a Dirk Pitt uh, pneumophiles guy, <laughs> but uh, I I, I kind of dig Jack Reacher. I think he's a badass. He and is a badass. Yeah. He's a bad. You should see the uh, the TV show, right? And the character that they have playing him is exactly how he's described in the in the book. Right. Yeah. So anyway, well, I, I, I got to tell that. you, I got to tell you, I'm just really impressed. That you're reading a book that when you open it up, pictures don't pop up. I so know. I'm very impressed. Uh, yeah. All right. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, <laughs> but I thought, you know, it's time to you uh-huh. know do some reading. So anyhow, I stopped in Jersey. My producer, my Fox producer, game producer, Barry Landis, picked me up. We went to his house. Um, his wife ordered us Italian food, and we housed Italian food. And uh, watch the games. It was a blast. And then I had a car service pick me up and take me into the city last night from Jersey. It's about a 50, 55 minute drive. I'll tell you what, it was, it was awesome. The, the afternoon, it was fun. It was great. Um, but it did leave me scratching my head about several different things about this weekend in regards to the AFC and NFC championship games, respectively. Well, let, let's start with Kansas City and Baltimore. We'll go in order. And um, what what stood out the most when it comes to Kansas City and Baltimore? Was yeah. this a game of, are, are you more impressed by the way the Chiefs won it or more disappointed in the way the Ravens lost it? I think I'm probably 
more disappointed about the way it went for the Ravens. And, you know, we've been talking about this and, you know, people have talked about the legacy game for Lamar, right? And, oh, Lamar, you know, he's not a drop back guy. Oh, Lamar, he's not a win from the pocket guy. Oh, Lamar, hey, man, he's rectified that. The maturity of Lamar, he can win from the pocket. I told you, all the I told you sowers out there. And ultimately, when you look at Lamar in the playoffs, I think teams have the same perspective. Make him beat you in a drop-back game. Make him beat you from the pocket. And we'll see. We'll take our chances with that. And I thought Kansas City did exactly that. I thought even when they brought pressure, and they were talking to them all on the broadcast about all the blitzes they're bringing. I, 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 I clarify this. Like, there's two different things. There's, there's a dog, and then there's a blitz. A dog is bringing pressure, but it's bringing pressure, inserting the fifth guy into the rush. So that to me is not a blitz because we've got five blockers to handle your five rushers. So depending on where you kind of where you come from, and how you cut your teeth, we would call that where I come from a dog. We're bringing a dog, right? So we're bringing pressure. And I thought a couple of things. One, when Steve, when Spag, Spagnola uh, from from Kansas City, when they brought pressure, even when they got the pressure, it was interesting to watch them basically settle down and not just shoot their shot. Even if they got a free runner, I felt like it was a free runner. What we're going to do is we're going to get to the quarterback and about three yards from him, we're going to start chopping our feet and getting ourselves prepared. And I felt in doing that, they kind of constricted the pocket. Now, there's still a couple times he got away where he slipped underneath a Drew Tranquil, you know, and spun out and, you know, throws a touchdown pass. But for the most part, I thought the way they developed a cage rush and essentially squeezed him down. And one thing I noticed in this game, Mike, is that when that happened, Lamar took his eyes off the downfield targets and dropped them to where is my escape point? Where is this rush coming from? And I think that ultimately that's exactly how you play Lamar. You make him drop back and beat you from the pocket. You play zone behind it. You make him throw layered routes. And frankly, it's, it's the one thing he doesn't do exceptionally well. Now, that said, I thought Todd Munkin, their offensive coordinator, I thought, and I thought John Harbaugh for this matter, mm-hmm. I think they started counting possessions. So you think about Kansas City drove down, scored a touchdown. Lamar came back. They matched it seven for seven. Then they drove down another. I mean, it was a ridiculously long drive. And by the time they scored their second touchdown, they're up 14-7, Kansas City this being. There was 11 minutes left, 10.56 left in the second quarter, and Baltimore had had one possession. And that, to me, was the big difference maker. They had one possession, and they started going, shoot, Kansas City's going to get the ball in the second half. They get the second half kickoff. And right now, with 11 minutes left, we may get two more possessions in this quarter. So going in to the third quarter, we're going to have three total possessions. What are we going to get? If Kansas City has the ball and they've just driven it twice and extended drives and scored on us, if they get the ball and do it again, like this game is over. 
And so then all of a sudden you stop doing all the things you've done all year. You, I mean, you, well, that was, that was going to be, that was going to be my question because I I love everything you just said about how the chiefs were able to get Lamar playing a style that they felt they could exploit. But why did the Ravens make it so easy for them? Why did they get away from running the football? This was a, a team that was very physical all season long was a, was a great running team. And it's almost like they, I, I mean, are you saying they chose to get away from it? Almost like they wanted to try to put this game in Lamar's hands or did they just, you know, get caught up in the circumstances and in the process get out coached? Yeah, I think they got out coached is the biggest part of it. And I think, like I said, you had, you're sitting there with a 10.56 left in the second quarter. You've had one possession. Mm-hmm. And now you're going, shoot, we're going to get maybe we're going to get two more in this quarter, maybe. And then they get the ball to start the third quarter. Oh, no, no. We get, do we get the ball? I think they, I think Baltimore got the right. Cause Kansas no, City, Kansas City would, you know, Kansas City would have got the ball for the, the double score. Okay. Yeah. And, and anyhow, like I'm, like I'm saying at the end of the day, wait, wait a minute. At the end of the day, I just think that they were so limited in possession wise. Did they have, maybe they had two with 11 minutes left. Anyhow, long story short is you're sitting there going a 12 possession game, right? Is really going to be what at the end of the day, we'll, we'll be fortunate to get eight, maybe nine possessions. And you kind of kick to the curb, all the things you did. Well, I mean, think about this Kansas city team. They gave up what a hundred, 50-plus yards rushing against Buffalo the week before, and you got the best running team in football, and all that read zone stuff where, you know, Lamar fakes it into Edwards' belly, you know, and then bounces outside and and does what he does, does, right? Like, he can threaten the edge, run. He's got the RPO action going on, you know, where they can run the little drift route behind the linebackers get sucked up. Like all the things that to me are incredibly hard to defend and you put your decision makers on defense, you put defensive ends, you put linebackers, you put those guys in conflict. What am I going to do? How am I going to play this edge? Am I going to tackle? Am I going to tackle Gus Edwards? Am I going to surf and try to play Lamar Jack? Like, how am I going to do this? All the things that, that keep you up at night as a defense coordinator, frankly, the Baltimore Ravens just didn't do it. Right. They chose they chose not to do it in a game where they were down by 10. And I thought, Mike, this whole time it was so interesting because they played the game like kind of like how I feel about Baltimore. You get down by 10 and you're not coming back. That's how I feel about the way Baltimore plays. And they played that way. They're like got down by 10 and it felt like panic. It felt like, oh, we got to abandon everything we do. You know how many times I've talked to you about the importance of identity? Your idea, what are you? And if I'm going to get my ass kicked, if I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get beat doing what I do well. And at the end of the day, if that's the case, then tip your cap and say, man, you got us. You, you know what this reminded me of, Mike? I, it goes back to that Jacksonville game that Denver played in 1996 in the playoffs when Denver was a number one seed and all week, what we prepared to do game plan wise 
was, hey, we're going to run it against Jacksonville unless they give us this look, you know, this eight-man front. Then we're going to throw the ball. If they give us this look with a safety rotation down, then we're going to throw the ball. And I came home Wednesday night after we put the game plan in, and my wife was like, what's wrong? She could tell something was bothering me. I go, I hate this game plan. <laughs> I said, I, I hate it. And she's like, well, why? I go, well, I go, frankly, man, I don't feel good about like, I don't feel good about the game plan because based upon the defense that Jacksonville gets in, they can take us out of what we do. We run the ball. I mean, go through the season. Terrell Davis had, you know, 24, 25 carries a game, every single game. So sure enough, we get in that game. They give us the looks that make us check out of the run game. And at the end of the day, Terrell had like 12 or 14 carries. He averaged six yards per carry. I think he had at 12 or it was either 12 – Maybe it was 14, something like that. But he got almost like about half of what he normally gets. And that gets you out of your identity. That's what I felt like Baltimore just got taken out of what they do. And it was, I mean, if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, you got to be pissed at the offensive coaching staff. You got to be pissed at your head coach. Like we didn't do anything that we've done all year. And, and Baltimore's defense shut them out in the second half or shut them down in the second half. They were incredible. So, yeah, I, I, I was more disappointed, Mike, in Baltimore. So where are we at now with Lamar Jackson? If this was a legacy game for Lamar, right. how do we look at him now? Um, well, you know I talk about this all the time. Until I see one that can run around and scramble around and play off schedule – win a Super Bowl, I'm going to believe the only way to really win one is a traditional dropback guy. And I tell you this all the time, and I've always believed this. I call it the 70-30 rule. 70% of the time, you need to be on schedule. 30% of the time, when things break down, you got to have a guy that can make a play. And when you are playing the game off schedule all the time, eventually you hurt yourself. Eventually you'll actually make more mistakes than you make big plays most of the time. And I thought Kansas city, I got to tip my cap to Kansas city for doing what they did defensively. Also what they did early in that game, offensively, they did enough to obviously win that football game. Um, But I thought it was, I thought it was undisciplined, but Baltimore had what? five or six, like they had a bunch of personal fouls. They had a bunch of penalties that um, kept drives alive and, and didn't allow their offense to get back on the field. They just made, they just made the lion's share of the mistakes. Kansas city. Uh, th- this is a fascinating, fascinating story for me because we saw them twice against the Broncos Broncos beat them rather handily in the second matchup. At one point, Kansas City's eight and five this season. We're all talking about how vulnerable they look. And I know you're a big believer that you can't always just think you're going to flip the switch because right. one of these times you're going to flip the switch and there's no juice. But man, they flipped the switch, didn't they? They did. And and you look at this matchup right now between them and San Francisco, and I can make a compelling argument that these last two weeks are about as bad as the Niners have played all year. And these last two weeks are about as good as the Kansas City Chiefs have played all year. You talk about peaking at the right time. One team scuffling down the stretch here. And 
like they feel like they're going to get exposed. And the other team is kind of firing right now. And I, the one other thing that really perplexed me, I guess, um, the beginning of that game, Justin Tucker. Dude, I, I get that you're the best field goal kicker in the history of field goals. You ain't going to make one tackle. You ain't going to throw one block. You ain't going to, like, what are you doing down there poking the bear? You're starting a fire that the rest of your teammates have to put out. What, like, what in the world are you doing? And by the way, like, I'm not a big believer in bulletin board material during the course of the game, but it does help you focus before the game. It does help you prep, you know, a little bit more focus, a little bit more intensity in what you do, the way you train, all that stuff. I, I felt like Travis Kelsey was seriously pissed he played his ass off. He set the tone. He was looking for dudes to run up to and say, first down. You like he was looking to jaw. He got them to create some personal fouls. And I thought he gave the offense the energy that they had to have in that first half to do what they did. And ultimately, I, I just look at that and go, man, this game is hard enough. I don't need my kicker kneeling down in front of my the, on on the opposite side in front of their warm-ups like messing with them i like i have i didn't understand that at all but it certainly bothered me so we, we have a long time but, but before the game to be able to talk about both these teams but final thought on kansas city uh defensively what makes this team so good defensively because let's be real here this is a different Kansas City team still very successful. They're back in the mm -hmm. Super Bowl, but they're doing it a different way. And and let's not kid ourselves. The the MVP of this team is Steve Spagnuolo in this defense. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is 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 great and all that, but this team is where they're at right now because of this defense. So what what makes this defense? How do you describe it? What's the secret sauce? Well, I think, one, all three levels of this defense are really good. I think they've got players on all three levels. I think the secret sauce for me is, and I'm going to go back and, and tell you kind of the way the Broncos were constructed in their championship run defensively. So when they won with the lead, not the Legion of Boom, excuse me, that was Seattle, but the no-fly zone. 2015. 2015. Your ability to play disruptive coverage, to bump, to run, to disrupt routes, to reroute guys, and be in their hip pockets. Um, to do that throws the offense, the timing and the rhythm of the passing game off a little bit. And because they can do that on the back end, they've got two guys in Chris Jones and Carl Loftus who are really good players. And so your combination of of the front end being able to rush the passer and create havoc and get to the quarterback and your back end being able to disrupt routes and reroute people, there is that great combination between those two, that great synergy um, between those two, and they do a great job. And Bolton, as a linebacker, does a phenomenal job as well in there. So I think they've got great players on all three levels, and they have a great mesh and a great feel for – you know, the teams, you talk to coordinators all the time, they talk about rushing coverage, coverage and rush, rushing coverage, coverage and rush. 
when you can do that in unison and you can complement one another, you've got a really good potential defense. And that's what they have done exceptionally well and why Kansas City, frankly, is going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's talk about the NFC. It's 24-7 to at the half. Detroit's looking fantastic. They're just running the ball right down mm-hmm. San Francisco's throats. San Francisco doesn't seem to have an answer. Uh, America is is falling in love with this Detroit team. Lions fans are, are packing Ford Field. It's just an incredible story developing before our very eyes. And then everything changes in the second half. Yeah. What happened? What happened? First of all, let's give the credit to the victors here. What did San Francisco change in that second half? Well, I think one of the things they did is they created some they created some opportunities for themselves defensively in like known running situations where they had not been able to stop the run game of Detroit. They brought a couple of run stunts, run blitzes. They got a couple of tackles in the backfield, and they eliminated opportunities. So all of a sudden, a team that was, you know, run a roughshod through them, their running backs only got, I think, I think Montgomery got nine carries in the first half. I think he only got six in the second half, and he averaged over six yards a carry. Uh, Gibbs got 11 carries in the first half. He got one carry in the second half. Um, So they had some timely situations, timely run blitz and timely plays on first down. I really thought they did a great job on first down and created second and third and long situations. And even though Detroit converted some of those, they kept finding themselves in these second and third and long situations, right? Um, And it's hard to play that way because that takes you off schedule. So it eliminates a large portion of your playbook. And I thought San Francisco did a really good job in that. And you know, what's interesting about this. And um, this is just me and you spitballing, but I'll ask you. So Steve Wilkes comes over. Remember he's the interim head coach, Carolina Panthers. They end up letting him go. They hire Frank Reich and end up letting him go. And, you know, now they've just hired Dave Canales, but San Francisco and Kyle Shannon go out and get Steve Wilkes. They bring him into the fold. Remember now, here's a guy that didn't bring any of his own people. He got hired as a coordinator, but he didn't get it with, I get to bring my linebacker coach. I get to bring my outside linebacker. I get to bring my DB coach. I get, I, I'm going to put the defense in that I'm used to with my people that know my terminology. He came to San Francisco without any assistance. And none of his assistant coaches came with him. And he learned San Francisco's defense. And so here's, I think, the really interesting part to that is how adept are you when you're calling somebody else's defense when things don't go well of changing things up, of making it your own? 
And frankly, Mike, that defense has been so good all year that he hasn't had to make a lot of adjustments, right? That, that offense has been up. They've been up on people, you know. I mean, I make a living picking San Francisco and giving the points. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's like a joke between you and I. Like, how many times has he had to go, uh-oh, my defense isn't playing that good. I've got to make some adjustments. And the last couple of weeks, now, that was an adjustment I talked about, a little, some run stunts and some blitz and stuff off of run and, and getting them shut down. But, like, I think it's a really interesting because the last two weeks, San Francisco has played as poorly on the defensive side of the ball as I've seen them play all year. And I did their last two games of the season. Yep. So I really broke down, like, six six different games that I really looked at. And I think they've been as bad, especially up front, which was the strength of their football team. They're inside guys with Armstead and um, and what's it, uh, Hargrave. And, and, you know, and then they went out and got Chase Young. And I, I think they've looked very, very pedestrian inside. They have not been very good. Offensively, what kind of questions did Brock Purdy answer for you and maybe for the football world? With his performance. I think every guy on their team at one point or another mentioned something about how Brock Purdy managed to get me that ball on the sideline and he managed to get this throw. And, you know, they were, they were, uh, (laughs) they were going in deep. Um, But the last two weeks, Mike, and you and I have had this conversation and we've had it on this podcast. The last two weeks, I think when it was nut cutting time, Brock Purdy loaded the team on his shoulders and drove them in critical situations. And really interestingly enough, and I've talked to you about this, San Francisco has not been able to have a lot of fourth quarter comebacks. Why? Because they're not built that way. They're built to operate their offense. They're built to run the football. Every run they have has a corresponding play action pass that marries perfectly to it. So it looks the same. They create these opportunities for their guys to catch the ball, you know, and it may be a six yard throw, but when they catch the ball, they've got eight yards around them with nobody. And then they turn into, you know, Debo Samuel turns into a freaking fullback. Um, George Kittle is a running back, you know, use check, same thing. Like they have that ability. They are not, we're going to drop back and dissect you with precision route running. It's not what they do. And yet the last two weeks, they've had to make plays like that. They've had to go back to, hey, we're a drop-back team. And Brock Purdy has been the difference maker. He's made some throws in that Green Bay game. He made that in-cut route to uh, to Jennings over, I think it was over Savage. I mean, it was a perfectly placed ball, big-time throw. He made a couple of those throws late in that game on a game-winning drive. And this week, his ability – to avoid the rush, to have the pocket presence, to scramble on several third downs and make big-time plays with his feet, to make some big throws in there as well. Um, you know, the big play over the top to Ayuk that uh, Detroit just bounced off their helmet, that was a big-time throw. The touchdown to Ayuk um, between two defenders was a big-time throw. Um, like, in that cutting time, that dude has shown up. And so – you could say, you know, if you want to continue to say game manager, you'll be like game managing yourself right to the what happened mode. 
because he he'll get you. That dude's a, that dude's a trained killer. Now I, I've been really impressed with. I, you know I've liked Brock Purdy yep. from the get go, but what he's done the last two weeks, kind of off schedule, what they've had to do to win football games, I thought he's been exceptional. Again, we'll have more time to talk about San Francisco as we move closer to the to the Super Bowl. The question that every Lions fan is asking, what happened? What happened right. in that second half? Because while most of the conversation, I'm sure, revolves around Dan Campbell's decision to go for it on fourth down instead of kicking field goals, and we'll, and we'll talk about that, but it goes deeper than that. So how did this one get away from them? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I give Dan, Dan Campbell a lot of credit. He's I mean, he's come out there and said, hey, listen, I understand the scrutiny. I'll, you know, I'll wear that. I'll take that. It's what they've been throughout the entirety of the year. You know, in the last couple of years, man, they're going to go for it in those situations. Um, Are you okay with that, by the way? That, that the no. idea that, okay, go ahead. No. I'm, well, I'm not simply because um, – I love I love Dan Campbell's belief. I love his aggressiveness. I love all I love everything about Dan Campbell and what he's and what he's brought and, and to the organization, the culture that he's created. Um, but there are there are times when you need to take the, the points and understand the role that momentum is gonna play. And you have a fourth down and two. Now you threw the ball. Reynolds dropped it, should have caught it. He'd had a first down at the 20 whatever yard line. Um, but that's part of the that's part of the decision making process. You could have kicked a 46 yard field goal and gone up by three scores. You were up, like right, you were up by 14. You could have gone up 17 points at that point. And now we have some momentum. We have the lead. We're gonna kick it off deep or we're gonna kick it out of the end zone. They're not gonna get the ball, they're gonna get the ball in the 25. I, I just I look at that. You come away with points there, and it just puts even more pressure on a San Francisco team that I don't. I'm not going to say they're about to wilt, but they don't need something else stacked upon them. And then you got a fourth down and three late in that game. It's 27-24 ball game, and you choose to go for it when you can kick a field goal, a short field goal, and tie that thing up 27 apiece, like. I just don't understand. I don't understand how that Dallas game and you losing that two point conversion plan. I get you got jobbed on a call and all that kind of stuff, but how you don't kick the extra point and tie that thing up is beyond me. That once, okay, twice, oh, I'm not sure, three times, come on. And that was another situation to me where I get it's what you've done all season long, but don't fall victim to your reputation of, Hey, I've done this all season long. Let's change it up and let's tie this thing up and let's take some points. Let's quit being so point adverse and let's throw out, you know, the, the numbers and let's go with what's going to help us win this football game. And, and that to me, especially on that fourth and three was kick a field goal and tie this thing up. You know, I'd like to say that, Hey, Detroit did a lot this year and the future looks bright. But then again, this NFC championship game was their first appearance in, in 30 plus years. So wh where is the guarantee 
that they get back to this level. Heck, Dan Campbell, after the game, was he said he shared with all of us that his message to his team was, guys, there's no guarantee that we we come back and build on this. I I thought it was kind of a kind of an interesting uh, choice of words uh, after after such a gut punch loss. Yeah, um, but I I think I think that to me was Dan Campbell saying we got to come back. We're gonna have a target on our chest. We got to come back and work even harder to get back here than we've done so far. So buckle up because that's what it's gonna require. The other thing is he's not lying. Um, I mean it's hard, and you think about your own division, Green Bay. There's nobody that played quarterback any better than Jordan Love did from like week twelve on. They've got a young, like all their receivers are in their first or second year. Like they've got a young, talented offensive core. They're going to be improved. You got Minnesota, I assume, and I don't know that this is going to happen, but I I just feel like based upon the quarterback situation and the injury they had last year, they're going to find a way to get a deal done with Kirk Cousins. So they're going to be much improved. I, I, I mean, I'm assuming that's what they're going to do. Um. Chicago, I mean, let's face it, Chicago's got more picks than, like, just the pure talent. They're defensive talent. They're legit. They've got some, they've got some talented defensive players. Um, they've, they've, they've made some nice moves on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to be able to, to, you know, multiple draft picks. I think they're going to draft the quarterback, and they're going to move off of, of fields, which is going to bring them another draft pick or two. Like they're they are loaded talent wise, and they're young, and a lot of that talent they're not paying. And if they draft a quarterback, they won't be paying that guy either. So, like this division is this division, the NFC, uh, the NFC North, man, it, it's solid. That that's going to be a tough division for even Detroit to win to win that thing. It's just going to be tough. Well, Detroit and Baltimore faced with thinking about what could have been and what needs to change moving forward. But for San Francisco and Kansas City, dreams of Super Bowl glory uh, for the next couple of weeks. And we'll be here to talk about it and look at this game. Every possible angle we will cover. Yeah. Well, I don't know about every angle, but we'll cover most. Every angle. We'll cover most angles. I'm writing them all down in my notebook right now. Okay. Some of the angles, some angles will be covered. Um, by the way, we, we split in our picks. We'll talk about that next time, but we split in our picks. You are so far behind me. You're going to have to like triple press, press. triple press, triple. Can you triple press? I don't know what, I don't know what that means, What I I have to put up. I don't know what I'm, I'm, I'm on the hook for, but I'm ready to go big. Go big or go home. Okay. We're going to do that next time. (laughs) Hey, for everybody involved in the Sink Truth Podcast, for uh, Mike, I am Mark. We appreciate you and we'll be back with you later on in the week.